You longing for good news? Yeah? I, mean, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I just long for some good news. I mean, the, the, the web and the TV news, it just seems one catalogue of disaster after another. And I don't know about you, but, but sometimes doesn't it feel that newscasters, they never seem happier than when bringing us the latest tale of woe? Whether it's the fact that there is going to be no deal over Brexit and it'll be a disaster, or you can go to a, a sleepy town like Salisbury and get poisoned by some Russian agent. That the world is full of terrible news. But it can just be our personal lives as well, can't they? They can seem filled often with bad news. An exercise in, in firefighting and managing the latest crisis. Uh, talking last week to a, a number of parents, they were quietly owning up to the fact that they were just rejoicing that school was back and their little angels were going to be taken off them. Because frankly, they'd had enough of dealing with the fights and the arguments and the whinging over the last six weeks. Well, it's... Um, Aging parents, or the crisis at work, having to call the emergency plumber, that next medical appointment. It'd be great just to have good news for once, wouldn't it? Well, this morning, I have good news for you from God. The good news for all people from God. Now, the Bible's a book of good news. That might surprise you if you're not a Christian. It's not a book of moral constraint, bad news rules. It's a book of good news. Uh, The word gospel means good news. That's what it means in in the Greek. Uh, Actually, the word evangelical comes from the Greek word euangelion, meaning good news. So here at Chessington Evangelical Church, we're Chessington Good News Church. That's what we're all about. Good news. And we're starting this letter from Paul to the Romans, which probably in the Bible is the most extensive explanation of the good news that God has for us. It's a letter from a a mature Christian leader with about 25 years experience in doing mission work and planting churches and being a pastor. Uh, Written to a group of Christians in a city at the heart of the known world, a city he's never visited in around AD 57. And right at the start, Paul gives a a long introduction about what he wants them to know. He wants them to be clear that he's writing to them God's promised good news about Jesus for everyone. Uh, Do you see how Paul talks about himself back in uh, verse 1? He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel, the good news of God. Literally, Paul, a, a slave of Christ Jesus. Uh, Not free to come and go. No, he's a slave of Jesus. Why would you celebrate being a slave of anyone? I've been sent, says Paul, with the good news of Jesus. And what we're going to see this morning is why it is such good news. So here's the first thing you need to know. It's good news. It's God's good news. Look, look Look at verse 1 again. Do you see how he describes it? Set apart for the gospel, the good news of God. See, God is the source of this good news, and he is the center of it. Now, there's lots of uh, other gospels in the world, lots of other good news to try and uh, help you in life. I was meeting with a a schoolmate recently. He's thinking about whether there's a God or not. 
He's got some questions for me. He just started telling me how he'd found meditation quite helpful recently. And then he, he said, look, Daph, I've, I've got a question for you. And he got out his phone and he said, look at this quote on a website. What, what do you make of it? And this is the quote. Let me read it to you. He said this. The two basic desires we human beings have are the desire to love and be loved and the desire to understand and be understood. They are natural and deeply ingrained in us because we often do things that compromise our true calling in life. In meditation and conscious self-work, we let go of these desires and return to joy, freedom, self-possession, self-assertion, and ultimately, inner peace and silence. That's a very popular version of good news in the world today. What you need to do is think more of yourself. Assert yourself more. Don't get stressed about loving other people. No, put yourself at the center of your universe. And your problem is, you're trying to love others too much. No, love yourself more. But but this gospel is God's good news. So, So right from the start, at the heart of this good news is love, because God is love. And it orientates the world not around us, self. It says, no, the whole of creation is orientated around the creator, God. We actually, as Christians, have to be quite careful that sometimes we don't give the impression that the gospel is about us. We can do that when we say things like, well, what you need is the God-shaped hole in your life filling. No, there's a truth in that. But the danger is we say, look, God's there to make you feel better about yourself. But but no, the good news is that you're there for for God. And because this is God's good news, it's the good news. All other philosophies of life aren't actually good news. All other religions aren't good news. This is the only good news. Now, isn't that a relief? It means uh, here in 21st century Chessington, we don't have to, to create something new or find something better. We just need to go back to what Paul wrote in the first century and we find God's gospel, the unchanging good news for people. That's great for Madame Catherine to know, isn't it? That they come, it's a new place, it's a new people, same old good news, same message. The same is true of Bethany. Because this is the old, old story. The story from the beginning of time. You see, this is God's promised good news. That's the second thing you need to know. Look at verse 2 with me. Look how Paul describes it. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Nothing new, says Paul. This is the message of the whole Jewish Bible, what we have in our Bibles as the Old Testament. This is what the whole Jewish Bible is about. One gospel. It's not there's like plan A in the Old Testament from God, I'll try and do something with the nation of Israel. Oh no, that didn't work out. Better send Jesus, my son, as plan B. No, one plan, one God. It's why when we preach the Bible here at Chessington, we preach the whole Bible, Old and New Testament. It's why in our small groups, our life groups this term, we're doing what's called a Bible overview. We're looking at how this one gospel is spelt out from Genesis to Revelation. How, how it's promised beforehand in the Old Testament and then revealed fully in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came to fulfill this Old Testament promise. He, he didn't just 
use names from the Old Testament, like calling himself the Son of Man, a name you'll find in Daniel 7, or claiming to be the Messiah of Psalm 110, or saying that he was the suffering servant, the one who came to give his life in our place, to bear our punishment, someone you'll find in Isaiah 53. Notes that the whole of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. Let me read you what Paul says in another letter in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. This is God's promised good news about Jesus. That's, that's the most important thing you need to hear this morning. If you're not a Christian, it's good news about Jesus. If you are a Christian, you need to be reminded this is good news about Jesus. Why? Well, we'll have a look at verse 3 with me. Regarding his son, who as to his early life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's all about my son, all about Jesus. In his earthly life, he was born as a descendant of the greatest king of the Old Testament, King David. King David had been promised by God in 2 Samuel 7 that one of his descendants would rule over a glorious kingdom forever. And Jesus now, God's promised rescuing king, was born in Bethlehem in humility. It's why if you're not yet a Christian, the person to place to start with is the person of Jesus Christ. There's no reputable historian who will deny that there wasn't an extraordinary person, the Lord Jesus, living 2,000 years ago. No one will deny he existed. The question is, what do you make of him? And if you are a Christian, well, well, the place we need to have our eyes fixed is on the person of the Lord Jesus. Uh, The great scholar of the uh, 16th century, John Calvin, said, the whole gospel is contained in Christ. I I can say to you now, when I struggle with doubt, you know when you struggle with doubt? I I struggle with doubt. There's quite a lot of us here this morning. But, you know, you look out the window and think, all those people wandering by, they they don't believe this stuff. Perhaps I'm wrong. Or you struggle with, with feeling low, maybe even depression. Well, for me, the answer in both doubt and depression is to look to Jesus Christ, to fix my eyes on him, the historical Lord Jesus, the one driven into history and nailed to a cross for me. He's the place I have to go. And when you go to Jesus, you find that He didn't just remain a seemingly weak human being, crucified, dead, and buried. But we find he was raised to resurrection life in verse 4. Oh, he was always the eternal son of God who, who came from heaven in humility for us. But at his resurrection, God declared him to be the son who rules his entire creation. So that now in power... That Son of God pours out His Spirit upon His people, the Spirit of holiness, so that lives are transformed by Jesus. Not because He was alive and dead 2,000 years ago, because He's alive and reigns today. You see, again, if you're you're having issues about whether it's true or not, 
Have you ever thought that the, there's a, a resurrection-shaped hole in history in the first century? So something extraordinary happens. That these men and women who were desperate and sad having seen their saviour crucified suddenly become dynamic disciples and Christianity explodes over the space of a hundred years all around the Mediterranean and it goes forth not because of military power in the way that Islam grows in the 7th and 8th centuries no it goes forth through missionary effort people merely speaking a message of good news to other people something happened It's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul brilliantly sums up the message about Jesus in in just four words. Do you see it at the end of verse 4? He says it's Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus the historical man born in Bethlehem lived in Nazareth who walked and talked and was crucified. Is the Christ the promised king who the whole Old Testament points to, who God said would come and rescue his people through his precious death, is our, our personal. He did it for us. We can know him because he is living Lord, ruler over all that there is. Jesus Christ our Lord. It's why evangelism, and, and people think that word evangelism is a slightly scary word. It's back to good news again. It's a word that just means good news sharing. It's why sharing the good news is all about talking about Jesus. That's hard, isn't it? It's quite hard to talk about Jesus if you're a Christian. It seems odd, doesn't it? We were reflecting. Come the end of this service, what will happen is we'll sing a hymn. I'll say, or David will say a closing prayer. And then suddenly the hardest thing in the world will be talking about Jesus. We'll be singing about him, we've been praying to him, we'll be listening to talk about him, and then we'll get the coffee and we'll... You can talk about God, can't you, to to sort of your friends who aren't Christians, that's a sort of reasonably neutral area. Spirituality, that's really in. I mean, you can talk about spirituality, a lot of people into that. Buddhism, I could never have been a Buddhist, can't cross my legs, can't sit still for five minutes. Yeah, but spirituality, people are into that. You can even talk about church, because, you know, you go to church, that's quite a good thing to do. They go to karate or cricket, it's just different. But as soon as you start talking about Jesus, you are weird. And, and if you say, do you know that Jesus is the only truth about a way to have a relationship with God? You're not just weird, you're an intolerant bigot. It's hard to talk about Jesus. But he is the good news. So let me ask you here, those of us here this morning who call ourselves Christians, is, is this Jesus the center of your thinking? Is he the center of, of your planning? Is he, is he the center of your living? Is he the center of your loving? He is God's good news for you. There was a, um, a thing on the BBC website this week. My, my kids always know when I'm preparing a sermon. I've become an expert on the BBC website. There's a little, little thing on the BBC website, uh, uh, one of those educational things, about the geocentric view of the universe. Anyone else see this? In a bored moment, click on it at work. Now, the geocentric view of the universe was the idea that the Earth was in the middle of the universe and all the planets and stars go around the Earth. It was very popular from the ancient world right up to the Middle Ages. The problem was that for hundreds of years, astronomers looked into the night sky and they could see it doesn't work. 
But oh, well, we all believe in the geocentric view of the, view of the universe. We'll just have to make it work. And they, they made up various stories to try and make it work, even though it clearly didn't work. Until Copernicus in 1543 said, you know what? I think, I think actually we might be going around the sun. Oh, that explains all that stuff. Now, here's my problem with life. I have a daffocentric view of life. I mean, even as a pastor, you can have a daffocentric view of life. So it's a church is about me feeling good about myself. And day-to-day life is about me being content with myself. And my family are there to behave in a way that makes me happier. And generally, it's all about me. And that's the way the world says we should run our lives, with you at the centre. And here's the funny thing, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in the world, and it doesn't work for us. But we spend a lot of time looking out there going, well, it doesn't work, but, but I'll just have to think up some theories to try and explain why it must be true, because, hey, aren't we all the centre of the universe? And here's God's good news for you and me. You're not. Jesus is. He is our Lord. And he's not just our Lord if you're a Christian. He's the Lord of everyone. And the question is not, would you have him as your Lord? It's he is your Lord. Would you, would you submit to him as Lord? Because here's the, the next thing to see. It's God's promised good news about Jesus for everyone. Look down at what Paul says in verse 5. Through him, we've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Paul says, look, I've got a job description from God to call all the Gentiles. Gentiles is a Bible word for for people who aren't Jews. But actually, the word here in, in Romans 1 is a word for nations. Effectively, Paul says, I've got to call all people everywhere to Jesus. There's no one excluded because of background or behavior. Do you know that? There's nothing you've done that excludes you from Jesus. There's no one excluded because of race or religion. There's nothing you believe now that excludes you from coming to Jesus. There's no one excluded because of sexuality or skin color. Jesus is for everyone because Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of the whole universe. That should be a real encouragement to us as we go out to talk to people about Jesus, you see, what, what we're doing is we're not trying to say, look, um, the one I've got, this idea of life is the best of the bunch, or uh, do you know what, Jesus could be really good for you. We're saying, look, here is the one who's God's good news for the entire universe, who rules now. He rules your life. Will you, will you acknowledge it? He is God's gift to you. Will you accept it? He is the heart of God's plan. Will, will you live your life according to that? It's a bit like Brexit. Now, no, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> not going to liken the loving son of God to exiting the European Union, okay? But, but it's a bit like Brexit. So, so, a lot of people don't like the idea of Brexit, do they? They voted against it, they're up in arms, they don't want Brexit to happen. The problem is, March 2019, we're all going to experience Brexit. Okay, there might be another vote, but for the illustration, let's say there's not. We're all going to experience Brexit March 2019, Yeah? whether we like it or not. We could choose at that stage to to try and live as though there isn't Brexit. Yeah, we could go to Calais without our passport. You know, try and get on the ferry. I'm, you know, bonjour. I do not have my passport. (laughs) 
I'm, I'm European Union. No, no, you live in the UK, you're Brexited, mate. Show us your, your ID. Yeah? You can't live. We're going to have to live according to Brexit. It'll affect all of us whether we voted for it or not. Jesus is Lord of all of us. Now, a lot of people don't like that idea, very sadly. A lot of people vote daily against it to, to live their lives for themselves. A lot of people don't even want to know that they have a loving Lord. But he is Lord of all. So the message about him is for all. Whether people want him or not. And to have Jesus as Lord. Can I say this to you now? If you, if you don't have him as Lord. Can I, to have him as Lord is the best news in the world. Let's just see why. God's promised good news about Jesus for everyone to have obedient faith. It's our last heading. Now you might be thinking, wait a second. Obedient faith. God's promised news, good news for everyone about Jesus to have obedient faith. I thought it was faith in Jesus. Isn't that what we're about as Christians? Well, what are you doing chucking the word obey in? Well, look, look what Paul says in, in verse five. He says, to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith, or literally it's the obedience of faith. And did you notice when Bethan ran the end of the letter, how all the themes came up again? So when he gets to the end of Romans, he says in chapter 16, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Now, now is it that I have to obey Jesus uh, so that I will earn his goodwill. I have to show him I'm, I'm for him. No, no, that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying if you trust that Jesus is Lord of all and of you, well, then that's going to be displayed by the way you treat him, by the way you live. You see, if you don't want to live with Jesus as Lord, you clearly don't believe that he is your rightful Lord. In, um, in 1855, the, uh, the French, uh, Charles Blondin, Frenchman, heard of him? He was, he's a great high-wire artiste of the 19th century. And what he thought he'd do is he'd go to Niagara Falls in America to showcase his brilliance. Uh, and what he did is he got a, a span, a, a rope wire of a th- 1,100 feet, I can say that because it's not March 2019, 1,100 feet across the Niagara Falls. And he got a wheelbarrow and he, he walked with the wheelbarrow along the high wire and he did it there, he did it back. And uh, while he was doing it, people were cheering in amazement and he kept asking them, do you think I can do it again? Do you think I can do it again? They went, yes, of course you can. Yes, Mr. Blondin, you're amazing. And he saw one bloke, about a row back in the crowd, going, yes, of course you can. And he said, sir, do you think I can do it again? And he said, yes, Mr. Blondin. He said, get in the wheelbarrow. That's, That's when you find out if you've got the obedience of faith, isn't it? You see, it's one thing to say from the sidelines, oh yeah, yeah, I believe, yeah, that's great. But it's another thing to commit your life to someone else, to get in the wheelbarrow. Now, if you trusted Blondin, you get in the wheelbarrow. If, if you trust Jesus, that'll be worked out in your life. You, you want to obey him. You see, Christianity isn't about me, it's about him. It's not about Jesus doing what I want for me. It's about me living my life for him. 
It's actually about him being my life. Do you see that at the end of verse 7? It's all for his name's sake. At the end of verse 6, rather, for his name's sake. Now, can I say to you, fortunately, trusting Jesus is, is far safer and far better than trusting a Frenchman to push you across a wire in a wheelbarrow. We can see that. Just look down at verse 7. We get some hints here about why Romans is going to tell us that trusting Jesus is such a wonderful thing to do. Do you see how Paul describes the people in Rome who are loved by God? Trusting Jesus means you know God has taken the initiative in loving you. Not because of who you are or what you've done, but simply because he loves you. And he sent his son for you. And he set his love on you. Whilst you ignored him, whilst you rejected him, whilst even maybe you despised him. And you see what they are second? They're called by God to be his holy people. It's to know he set you apart into his family. That now you're his treasured possession. That's what he wants you to be. And Paul uses a very common greeting. He says grace and peace to you. But that word grace is a word about God's undeserved loving kindness. In that he gives, gives, gives. It is a gift to you. And that gift is peace. Peace with God now. Through the death of his son at a cross where he bore our hostility against his father. Where he took the punishment that we deserve. Peace with God now. A restored relationship where you can see what God is called God our father. Peace from him. No, no other religion in the world would dare to call God our father. You have a father who has given his son so you have peace with him. And peace with God forever. In a place of wholeness and perfection we can't even imagine. A new creation he's promised. But, but hey, this is only the introduction of Romans. So I mustn't steal the thunder of the next few weeks. So, Jesus. He's what you need to hear about. Because this is God's promised good news about Jesus for all people. The utterly unique, the unendingly loving, the ultimately powerful, the unchangeably compassionate, the unquestionably good Jesus. He is God's promised good news for you. Will you pick up Romans tomorrow and fill your heart with him? Will you call on God in prayer that you might know him? Will you dare to talk to your neighbor over a coffee after the service about what you think of him? If you don't know him, would you come and chat afterwards? But then maybe we could open up a book of the Bible and meet God's good news for you. Should we pray together? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God who gives us good news. Not because of the way we've earned it. Lord, we have done everything not to deserve your love. 
Not because of our intelligence, Lord, we are blind to this without your help. Not because of our religious efforts, Lord, there is nothing we can do to change your mind about us. And yet you give. You're the God who has given your son. That he is your promised good news. So, so please work in our hearts that day by day we might have a Christocentric view of our lives. That Jesus Christ is our Lord. And as we do that, it will be for the sake of his name. And we would know the freedom of living in a world of glorious peace and grace as we have your love lavished on us by your spirit in the midst of all the bad news that is around us. For Jesus' name's sake, amen.